0: I've had the privilege of speaking to all kinds of groups, more often than not through associations of nonprofits or to chapters of large organizations. And then there are these other gigs I get, the Association of Certified Public Accountants, the Association of Heating, Cooling, and Plumbing Contractors. Are you wondering what I talk about? Well, I talk about the fact that their work has value, has meaning. People are hungry for meaning and purpose in their lives. Younger generations are not satisfied with looking for that meaning outside of their work lives. And who hasn't read about the Great Resignation? Isn't so much of this about feeling valued? About meaning and purpose in your life? In all dimensions of your life? The nonprofit sector is kind of dripping with meaning and purpose, but I was interested in exploring life in the private sector and holding up a model of what a company looks like where meaning and purpose is built into the DNA and then to ask what it would be like to be part of such an enterprise. What if that company donated 100% of its profits? 100%. I just know that being involved in this kind of endeavor would feel meaningful to the folks on the business side and the folks given the privilege of making decisions how to deploy those funds. You might think this is a unique story, a story of the legacy of a famous actor and humanitarian, but do not be short-sighted, my friends. There will be some good food for thought, and my pun is intended. Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. You can learn more... At joangary.com. I think of myself as a woman with a mission to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights. Today is no exception. Miriam Nelson is an American public health and nutrition scholar and social entrepreneur focusing on the areas of children's wellness, women's health, and sustainable food systems. She's authored hundreds of scientific studies, research papers, and policy reports, and is internationally known for her New York Times bestselling Strong Women book series. Nelson co-founded Child Obesity 180 while at the Tufts University Friedman School of Nutrition Science and Policy. Currently, Miriam is the president and CEO of Newman's Own Foundation, and she advocates for children facing adversity due to medical issues and nutrition insecurity. Since 1982, when Paul Newman first declared, let's give it all away, more than $570 million has been donated to thousands of great causes helping people in need around the world. Miriam, I'm really happy you're joining me. I found our pre-interview fascinating, and I'm looking forward to sharing your
1: story with our listeners today. You're so kind, Joan, to have me today, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thank you so much. Let's do it. So let's
0: talk about the origin story of Newman's own. Now, I have a hunch that there probably are some people in the world don't know that story. I think most folks assume that Paul Newman made this like kick-ass salad dressing and someone suggested that he and Joanne started selling it. And then someone took it a step further and suggested, wait, maybe the profits can go to nonprofit organizations aligned with Paul and Joanne's areas of interest and values. I don't know, I, that's that's the story I would write, but maybe
1: it's more complicated than that. Why don't you tell us? Yeah, I think you've got it pretty well. So as I understand, I never got to meet Paul Newman, but I've certainly listened to tons of interviews, read so much about him, talked to people that knew him very well. And my understanding is that, you know, he was a foodie. He loved to cook. He would not have called himself a chef, but he loved to cook and he loved good food with really good ingredients. And around about 1982, early 80s, a friend of his, Hotchner, Uh, said let's brew up some really wonderful wonderful salad dressing and they gave it away to their neighbors and the neighbors all said you should sell this and so he said okay well I'll try and so locally he worked to sell his wonderful salad dressing that tasted so good and with great ingredients and the next thing you knew the salad dressing was selling off the shelves and so then he is wonderful um, humility said, well, if we're going to sell this, I'm going to give 100% of the profits away to good causes. And so right from the get-go, his plan was to, as we say, give it all away. And that's what really started Newman's Own. And then many more um, wonderful food products were have been sold. And then in 2005, He decided to set up a foundation for his legacy so that the give it all away could continue. And then he passed away in 2008. And the foundation and the food company and then the licensing that we do has continued his legacy. And as you said, we've given now over $570 million away. It's really quite an extraordinary story. And the one thing I'll say is, is that I really feel like Newman's Own was the very first sort of cause-driven, purpose-driven brand and company. And that was really pretty extraordinary.
0: The Nonprofit Leadership Lab is led by Joan Gary and is the world's best online community for leaders of small nonprofits. Learn how to raise more money, build the board of your dreams, grow a large audience of supporters, and so much more. To learn more and request an invitation to become a member, please go to nonprofitleadershiplab.com slash podcast. That's nonprofitleadershiplab.com slash podcast. Tell me about the timeline because I, I think many people, certainly, you know, many people of a certain age, know that Paul Newman was deep commitment to, to being a humanitarian and using his platform. This is one way. He also was involved, I think, you'll tell me, in, uh, in the Holland Wall gang camps as well. Was that before or after he cooked up the salad dressing? Do you know? Uh,
1: so, Paul Newman was an Oscar winning actor. He was a winning race car driver. He was a social entrepreneur with the food business, Newman's Zone, and a philanthropist. I mean, he was, and he was so many more things than that. When he started Newman's Zone, he just decided that children that were facing serious illness needed more joyful experiences to just be a kid. And so He and um, Hotchner and Hotchner's wife and Joanne, they dreamed up the Hole in the Wall gang camp based on the Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid story. And started a camp in in Connecticut for seriously ill kids. And that the whole New All Gang camp is going strong. But now there's a network called the Serious Fun Children's Network that has over 30 camps all over the world supporting children that have serious illness. And it's really an extraordinary story. So that all started with Paul.
0: So it's interesting, you know, everybody has a story and no one is more than a few degrees of separation from the things you talk about. And we hired an intern a number of years ago here at my shop who is today still with us as a staff member and I remember interviewing him. He actually went to high school with my daughter and I said, tell me about what experience, if any, you've had with nonprofit organizations because those are the folks we help. We help the helpers. And he said, well, one of the most, you know, important experiences of my young life was that I went to the hole wall gang camp. I'm a hemophiliac, and I was a counselor in training and really understood the kind of the impact that the nonprofit sector can really have on people and helped me to have a really joyful childhood. I was like, okay, when can you start? <laughs>
1: It is. I mean, I've volunteered now up at the camp a couple times. Unfortunately, because of COVID, I have not been able to be there when children are, have been there. But I, living in New England, as you can imagine, I know so many people who either were campers or were counselors or both, or somehow have been involved in the whole All Gang camp but the other camps uh, as well in Colorado and in New York and Florida and Cambodia. I mean, it's really just extraordinary. The stories are incredible and it's really about, supporting children and their families to be kids, to really tap into their superpowers, to really, really allow them to reach their full potential. And uh, it's just, it's something that Paul Newman started and the legacy continues. And, I, you know, it's, we're thrilled to be able to continue to support the camps.
0: Well, I know that this is actually a podcast about, you know, companies and how they drive meaning and purpose, but I, I just can't help but just stop and think to myself, how do celebrities use their platforms? When you think about, first of all, celebrity maybe is more of a flash in the pan today than it used to be right because of social media but you think about the great good fortune and i mean that three-dimensionally of so many celebrities when you think about paul newman's story you just think what an opportunity celebrities have and some of them squeeze every bit of juice out of that opportunity But so many others, I think, are just leaving so much on the table in terms of their own ability to have an impact and ultimately, just as Paul Newman has, to have a real and lasting legacy, don't you think?
1: Mm, I I do. I, I certainly can't get in the minds of celebrities myself. But, you know, there are such, you know, good people out there doing really good work and Paul Newman, you know, was really extraordinary. You know, he showed up for uh, issues around civil rights. He, uh, at one point in time, with a movie he was doing with Susan Sarandon, he found out she was making less than him. And he said, well, that's not the way it should be. You're a star and, and gave part of his salary to her. He believed in equal pay for equal work. I think there is an incredible example uh, of a person there. He also had a lot of fun. My sense is he had fun doing this work. You well, know, he just... He, how he joyful felt,
0: it is, right?
1: Yeah, he felt you You show up, you ante up, you stick up, you, you do the right thing. And then, you know, he had luck on his side in many ways. And, you know, when he stumbled, I'm going to say across the food business... And he realized that he could use his power for good. It was really, he called it shameless exploitation for the common good, which I think is a wonderful term. And he realized that he could use his power for the common good, especially for children. It was really extraordinary. But there, he was very savvy. He believed that good food needed to have the best high quality ingredients. It needed to taste really good. It needed to be convenient and it needed to be something where you could bring the family and you could gather around. And, you know, those ideas, ideals around quality trumps everything else was really important from the food perspective. And he really, that, that has really stuck with us through time.
0: I want to move on to talking about the foundation and the work, but I also find myself wondering how many people are listening who don't know the story of Paul Newman, right? There's just future the generations of people like me, like you, who, for whom this is quite top of mind, but for you know, younger generations who might not know the story. So I, I wanted to stick with it just in the, in the hopes that there's somebody listening who's, who's saying, wow, I really didn't know that.
1: Yeah, he was radically good. I mean, he really was quite extraordinary in so many different ways. I wish that I had gotten to know him. Um, Well, it sounds
0: like well, it certainly sounds like you actually did get to know sort of his values and his ideals, and are living that living that um, in your work. So, let's talk about 2022 and tell us about the size and impact of the foundation, and a little bit about how it intersects with the food company. I think people would find that interesting.
1: Yes. So let's see which to go first. So let me talk about how we intersect with the food company. So with Newman's Own, there's the foundation, which, as you said in the introduction, we're we're the ones that think strategically about our impact and how to use the funds that we receive from the sale of food and licensing to have uh, impact. So there's the foundation, which I'll talk about in a second. And then there's the food company, And the food company is run by a wonderful man named Dave Best. And the food company is produces the food, sells the food, distributes the food. I do not run the food company. Dave has a very difficult job, especially in this day and age with COVID. It's a really challenging time. But then we also do license. We use the intellectual property and we license to a few other organizations for sale of food. So it is through licensing and the sale of of Newman's Own Food that we receive 100% of the profits and royalties after expenses come to the foundation and then we give it all away. And Paul Newman did it himself before we had the foundation. And then once the foundation was set up, it came through the foundation. So that's how we we are organized. It's a very, we actually had to get an act passed in Congress to operate this way. So the foundation actually technically owns the assets Usually you have a food company or a company that then has a foundation, but we are a foundation that owns a for-profit food company. Oh, um, so and so that was the,
0: so, so that was the act of, so I was going to ask a little bit about the act of Congress. So the, mm-hmm. the, they had to get, you had to get Congress to agree to have a foundation own a private food yes, company. Yes.
1: Ah, For-profit okay. food company. Um, Got The it. Philanthropic Enterprise Act. And, uh, and so that's our structure. Um, but Dave Best and I work very, very closely together and coordinating efforts and understanding what each are doing and supporting each other. So we are a team, but we each run different entities at Newmans Zone. That's important. In terms of the foundation, we're uh, in the midst of some transitions. and, Every foundation, an organization for that matter, occasionally needs to really think about their impact, think about their resources that they have, think about where you want to have impact. For us, we have a lot of resources in terms of we have the the money that we get from the profits from the sale of food. But we also have the sort of power of Newman's Own and Paul Newman himself. Even though he he is not with us anymore, we've got networks and we've got the wisdom of our grantee partners. We've got, you know, opportunities—the power of the brand—to really think about change. And so, we are really looking at that and finishing up some strategic thinking and. How do we really maximize all of those resources to create change, especially for children? I mean, we know that children really matter to Paul, and it's something that we've supported from the get go. So, how do we really think about children? So, you know, some of the areas that we supported, you already brought up, is children who are seriously ill through the camps that work. But we also are very deep into supporting efforts and thought leadership around children's nutrition security in schools, there's a real opportunity right now with the current administration. And because of of some experiences with COVID, we know that schools have really become the epicenter of nutrition security in their communities. So there's a lot of, we, we support that work in both policy and practice and people in that area. And then another area where we've been supporting work for the last decade has been in Indian country and Native American youth and really thinking about food sovereignty and the amazing entrepreneurship that is happening in on reservations and with Native people. And so those are just a few areas where we are deep and really thinking about strategy and, and impact.
0: Interesting. So I know you don't take unsolicited requests. I'm sort of curious about how you... How, what's, what would you say is the foundation's kind of granting philosophy? Are you, uh, When you say you talked about going deep on these particular issues, how do you approach questions like restricted versus unrestricted, multi-year versus single year? How do you tackle those kinds of mm-hmm. questions as you look at your grantees? Always curious about that.
1: Yeah, our grantee partners are really extraordinary. So we we have a a framework that, that we work to follow. And one is really valuing the wisdom of our grantee partners. They know best what to do. Allowing for flexible funding, and we've seen that with COVID, but we were already doing that well before COVID that our grantee partners also know how to use the funds best. So allows it, allowing that flexibility while still having some accountability. We really believe in leadership and identifying supporting exceptional social entrepreneurs. So a lot is around leadership. Mm we use a race and equity lens when we're thinking about support and then another two other areas are, are moving at the pace of trust. And so certain, certain areas you can go faster and certain areas, you got to go slower because you really need, it's all about trust. And, and there are times where foundations have, have done a bad job with that. And so we really do not want to ever, ever cause harm to anybody. And then finally, is co-generation of strategy and thinking about impact. So we help to support strategy and sort of co-generate plans together because we have other assets beyond check writing, and we want to make sure we're using all of those assets on behalf of the the mission of our, our grantee partners.
0: So during the course of a calendar year, how many unique grantees What's the range of unique grantees that that Newman's Own funds?
1: Yeah, well, it's shifting quite significantly. We used to fund a much larger variety and we realized we weren't having the impact that we could and that would be advantageous from an impact standpoint to fund fewer, but be more involved with our full resources. Um, and if you go to our 990 you can see everybody that we support so right. um, but we uh, i'm trying to think last year it was maybe 250 different unique organizations we also have a employee. If you work for Newman's Zone, you also are involved in helping to think about where who, who we support. So, so that's where a number of some of the grants come from too. Um,
0: Wonderful. That's really um, yeah. that's really awesome. The the hundred percent thing. You actually in our pre-interview, I I want you to hammer this home for our listeners because even I did not know that there are some brands that talk about giving profits away, and then in, indeed they do. But is there any other company that gives away hundred percent of their profits?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking the question. We are, I can't name any right at the moment, but we're 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 loosely aware that there are a few others that do this. In fact, I was on a call last week with a wonderful organization that is shifting to this model. And, you know, we, I do have, I think there's more and more that are looking at this, usually they're family owned. And then, you know, that the. patriarch or matriarch is trying to think about their legacy and doesn't want to just sell the company. And so a little bit like Paul Newman. And so we are in, you know, we, we've helped to support some organization. I can't talk about who they are, but they're sort of in transition, which is wonderful. That's great. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really, what's, what's fascinating is we've done a lot of research with consumers, as you can imagine, really, because, our donor is the person that buys salad dressing or popcorn or salsa or pasta sauce or, or wonderful pizzas. I mean, that's who our donor is. And so we need to understand our donor and the you know, relevance. And it's amazing, though, most regular consumers don't really understand the difference between giving one or two or 3% away and giving 100% away. And I think there are a lot of companies that do, there are a lot of philanthropic companies and companies doing really good work. I mean, there are a number of them, but they don't give 100% away like we do. So again, I, I really believe we are the the original purpose-driven brand and that's the way Paul wanted it. And I think we need to do a better job of, of really heralding that model and what we do so that we can really differentiate ourselves from the, as Paul would have said, well, the people that are giving one, two or 3% away, that's a good start. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, try a hundred so that's, you know, and, and aren't we still, the people that work at the foundation or the food company, people are, you know, we, we, they're well-paid, it's a great place to work. It's, it's not like people are working for free. You know, we're running a, a first-class organization here um, and it's a wonderful place to be.
0: Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Purpose-driven brands, and sounds like you are in a lovely position to be potentially even mentoring other other places where there this there is this opportunity for dramatically large percentage of the profits to be donated. But wondering about your take on the purpose-driven sort of on the private sector and the landscape of purpose-driven brands, and what if any trends you're seeing?
1: Yeah, so. I, so this is a is a really good conversation I think there are companies out there that use their purpose you know the the philanthropic purpose to sell products to sell more products and then I do think there are organizations that are like ours that sell products for the purpose and right. I think I think that's fundamentally different, but I'm going to say that I believe strongly that there are a lot of organizations that truly believe in the power of business to create positive change. And so I don't want to ding anybody at all because I think that there's a number that are moving in that direction. And they're also realizing that the value proposition for hiring and retaining the best talent for actually being relevant to their consumers, for the joy and the comfort and the fun in doing good in the world brings to you. So I, I'm, you know, I'm not, I've never been on the for-profit side, but I'm, you know, dabble in it in, in different ways and certainly with Newman's Own. So I believe there's a lot of goodness out there and it's transitioning because consumers are demanding it. They're, they're wondering about, you know, the social, the environmental, the governance of an organization. They're voting with their pocketbooks. So we're really, we sell products to do good in the world, we don't do good in the world to sell more products.
0: The distinction is very clear to me, and the one that you're not is not a, in any way a bad model, right? To use your profits for good in that way, sort of a company that that makes money and gives some portion of it away, but the, it is the sort of the motivation. The the motivations fundamentally different, right? It, yeah. Your motive, your motivi- you are a, you have a philanthropic motive. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things you have to really unearth with a company, and I see this a lot with folks that are who run nonprofits who interact with the corporate social responsibility group of a company, right? What is that fundamentally about? Is that about, I mean, it's just clearly it's about doing good. It's also about yeah. enhancing that brand in some way that a cruise benefit in the bottom line, right? Now you're doing but you're doing the same thing too.
1: We still have a bottom line. You <laughs>
0: have a bottom line, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. it, right it, but your motive <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting, right? So the corporate social yeah. responsibility group is tra- may in fact live under the public relations arm of a company, right?
1: Yeah, it depends. It yeah. depends, it right? Depends. So, um
0: yeah. but I think The the bottom line for me, and I, I wonder what your take is on this. The bottom line for me is what are the values embedded in that company? And does the philanthropy, the doing good part, align with those values? Is it authentic? authentic to the values of the company. I I wonder if you could speak to that about sort of the the landscape. So much of the private sector is, is, do they have values? I mean, we we talked about this also was the notion that we have people joining the workforce in their 20s and 30s that have an expectation that a company will live its values. But I do think at the end of the day, it's about your company, your entity, your
1: enterprise's values. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. There are two, two things here. One is, I do believe more and more companies are seeing the value of their corporate social responsibility and their philanthropy and their ESG work, and they're seeing that it actually improves the bottom line. And, and so that's a good thing.
0: Um, ESG um, for listeners, ESG?
1: Envir- environmental, social, and governance for their organization. So are they, you know, are they equal pay for equal work? Are they making sure they aren't employing, you know, underwaged individuals? The social piece is very big. The environmental piece is very big. And then the governance structure. One thing I'd like to bring a highlight to your viewers is an organization that Paul Newman also started, which was CECP, which is Chief Executives for Corporate Purpose. And uh, I think I got the, the term right, but CECP is a wonderful organization network that supports, it's a couple hundred really top tier organizations in their corporate social responsibility and really thinking about being philanthropic. And, uh, it, we, we still work with them and support them and they do really great work. So if you want to look up CECP, it's a wonderful organization. You talked about values-driven organizations, and I think it's really difficult to understand whether it's just really good PR or whether it's truly embedded in the values. Uh, One organization that I know quite well is is Patagonia, the clothing, um, and they do actually provisions and some food now. And Patagonia um, is... Uh, you know, their whole reason for being is to save the, you know, our home planet. And so every decision they make, you know, HR, procurement, sale, I mean, it's all driven. And so I really believe there is an organization which is trying to use the power of of what they do. They also sell a really good product. So the power of what they do for, for the common good, you know, there's certainly other organizations out there as well. So, but they're, you know, that it's integrated vertically, horizontally, and i think that's really important.
0: Yeah, i do i i do too. It, it's so interesting how these things happen. I it's not exactly exactly the same thing, but i worked at Showtime for a number of years before i entered the nonprofit sector and it was in the early 90s and the ceo was really wanted to live, you know, sort of wanted the values of diversity, equity and inclusion to be embedded in Showtime horizontally and vertically, as you described it. So I came to know about this initiative because I was asked to leave, I was sort of like the gay poster child at Showtime in the early 1990s. And we started the sort of the affinity group, the LGBT affinity group. And we started other affinity groups at that time. And what's so interesting about it is that giving agency to those voices, yes, it certainly changed policies inside of Showtime in a, in a, in a variety of different ways, but it also seeped into programming. And Showtime's programming, and it was one of the things I was most proud of about working at Showtime, Showtime's program became remarkably diverse. And not for its own sake, but because it was living the values of The CEO then, Tony Cox, who actually died of a heart attack in the midst of all of this. But his legacy lived on. And when I think about, at that time, it's really interesting. I had not thought about it before this conversation, actually. Showtime was a very sort of distant second to HBO in those days. And, and it is no longer. It is a highly distinctive brand that is remarkably successful in ways it was not when I was there in the 1990s. And I can't help but believe that the values that were embedded in that and with integrity and authenticity, those things bring out the best in the work, the folks who work there, and in the product that is, that is actually created. And I just, I really, I think you could tease back to the 1990s and see the kind of legacy that somebody like Tony Cox had that drove a number of those things. And I swear I had not made this connection till this very
1: moment. Yeah, well, I thank you for telling that story, because I think it's a really good story. It's when you start living the values, all decisions then, and it has to be top-down, bottom-up, you know, it's like every which way, and you think internally and externally. Definitely a smaller example, but one that I think really, I know for me, hit home was back in the 80s, uh, HIV was rampant. And Paul Newman and colleagues started the, you know, the the hole in the wall gang camp. And they were trying to make decisions. As you can imagine, you're talking about supporting children who have serious illness. What kind of illnesses would they be supporting? And they made a decision right off the get go that HIV positive children needed to be have a home at these camps. And this was a time where there was no treatment for HIV. There was a lot of, tons of stigma. There was misunderstanding and, you know, they just like, that was the right thing to do. And I really think that kind of work set the stage for the inclusiveness of the camps and who was there. I mean, it really was a bold decision um, one in which, you know, uh, regulators and healthcare were, were not happy about to begin with, but it was like the right decision and, and history, you know, shines a very positive light on those kinds of decisions.
0: Oh, and uh, for those of us who were, you know, in the, in, in the trenches in one way, shape, or form in the 1980s, for those of you who were not, Bold doesn't even begin to describe that. Really doesn't even begin to describe that. This conversation drives me towards talking for a few minutes, Miriam, about leadership. And it makes perfect sense that the foundation focuses in on leadership because that's what we're really talking about here in many ways, right? Is how do you... Lead and, and how do you model the behavior you want to see in others? How do you, how do you? I mean, the notion that he started something for CEOs of companies to think more deeply about philanthropy—all of these things are demonstrations of his leadership. He was a, right, the philanthropist, but he was really demonstrating leadership. And I just, I wonder how you. Two two parts to this question, Miriam. So the first part is really how do you. Now, of course, I'm going to forget the second part because that's what happens when you get to a certain age. You remember number one, and then you don't remember number two. But maybe talk for a minute about you. You talked about funding, leadership, and ish- leadership. And what is that, What is that? What is that for the foundation? What does that look like when you're, you know, investing in leadership? What kinds of things? Maybe you can bring that to life a little bit. And when you say we, we really focus on leadership. What? What do you mean by that?
1: What? Yeah. So. Paul really had a knack for identifying great leaders and supporting them. Wow. Um I'm not sure that he would have self-identified as a leader. Uh that's not he was way too he it, it also at the time That had maybe a negative connotation versus now, I'm not sure, but I'll give you a couple of examples. Certainly, one is an amazing gentleman, Kennedy Odate, um, who started something called Shining Hope for Children, Shafko, which is in the slums in Kibera in Kenya. And he actually, it's a long story, but he's an extraordinary man and ended up. Going to Wesleyan University in Connecticut. And, and one of our board members identified that he thought he was an incredible emerging leader. And we supported Shafco at its earliest stage. And now, you know, it's just reaching, you know, thousands and thousands of children, especially education for girls. And Kennedy is just extraordinary social entrepreneur. Another gentleman is Kurt Ellis, who runs Food Corps, and Kurt has a passion and the brains for thinking about how we can think about food and nutrition in the school environment so that Nutrition and food are embedded in the educational experience, in the human resources and training and and employment and skills, and that children and their families can be better nourished. And Kurt Ellis is an extraordinary leader. And we started supporting, um, I wasn't here when we started supporting both of these fine gentlemen, but that just gives you an example there is a woman, Leah Peniman, that runs something called Soulfire Farm that's in New York, and she's an extraordinary leader. Um, and we supported her quite early on. So, you know, there there is just extraordinary social entrepreneurs out there, and a lot of times they just need a little support. Sometimes they need a lot of support to get going. But you know it's just an important we're we're not, you know we're not the Gates Foundation and we're not the Ford Foundation. We don't have those kinds of resources, but we can support those emerging social entrepreneurs to do extraordinary work.
0: Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you found your way to to the foundation, but before I do, I want you to, if you don't mind, you use the word social entrepreneur as opposed to nonprofit leader tell me what tell your your choice of social entrepreneur seems quite uh, uh, intentional to me when you call someone a social entrepreneur what do you mean by that
1: yeah it's interesting having sort of grown up my whole professional life now almost 35 40 years in the especially in the nutrition food sector it was a you got a bad sort of rap if you went into the for-profit side of things. I, I I come from the academic. You got a sort of bad rap going into for-profit. So the reason that I don't just say not-for-profit is I believe there's a lot of goodness out there and great leadership in both the not-for-profit in the policy federal world, in the for-profit world. And I think you can do good in so many different sectors. So I tend to be more agnostic as to the sector, but think about what the purpose and the values of the person are in really thinking about, you know, equitable solutions to improving you know our environment, the human condition, different segments of the population. You know, I think there's incredible social entrepreneurs in the technology sector. I mean, it's Absolutely. it's sector agnostic. You know, agnostic. So that I, I that's love I that.
0: I love that. Act. Thank you for teasing that out for us because, first of all, I often talk about the fact that the non- nonprofit sector is essentially defined by what it isn't rather than what it is, and that just just seems all wrong to me. So the hunt for the right word seems uh, important, and so I was intrigued by your use of that term. You know, usually I ask this at the front, but we got right into this. How did you come to foundation work?
1: Well, I've always been very focused on public health, especially the intersection of nutrition and food. Yep. And with a colleague of mine, a wonderful colleague of mine at Tufts University, where I did most of my work, Christina Economos, we co-founded a project called Child Obesity 180 and did a lot of work with the, the former first lady, Michelle Obama, with her Let's Move campaign. And we were looking for funding uh, at this. I was still at Tufts at the time. We were looking for funding. And I thought to myself, gosh, Newman's own. I know that they support endeavors like this. And um, uh, somehow, I know we, we don't accept non-solicited proposals, but you know, part of this is networking and understanding what they were doing. And in the end, we ended up with some support for an after-school program for children. And I got more more and more fascinated with Newman's Zone and because, it again, using the power of the commercial side to fund the nonprofit side, I thought was fascinating. And then I ended up being a board member on the food company. So I was a board member and then there were some leadership transitions and at the foundation and I got asked to take on and, and be the president and CEO. So so I, I started as a grantee, which is, I think, the best way to start because you you have a lot of empathy and understanding. and But the work is very similar, you know, as, as I've had in the past thinking about how do you create positive change in the world? How do you think about... Policy. How do you think about entrepreneurship? How do you think about programs, resources? So I, I feel like I'm using my full full skill set in in my current position.
0: What? Uh, how joyful is that? I, I interviewed another guest not long ago, and where that person wound up was so obvious where that person was going to end up when you actually heard the the path and the passion and so but what a lovely thing when those things align and you find yourself sitting in a seat that actually bring, allows you to bring everything you're carrying with you to the work i wanted to end with this question so you were a grantee you deal with many grantees every year and this is a, you know, my, my jam is fueling and supporting and championing uh, leaders in the nonprofit sector. What have you learned about leadership in, uh, in, in the sector as someone who is a funder to lots and lots of grantees? What have you learned about leadership?
1: What I've learned about leadership is that there's still a lot to learn. <laughs> and That leaders come in all shapes and sizes and approaches and introverts and extroverts that there is a definitely an alchemy of inspiration and vision with basic like skills in getting stuff done. You've got to have some balance of the two, and I, I think that certainly as I've gotten older, and I I know where my weaknesses and strengths are, and so then you put a team together. Which at the foundation we have an extraordinary team. Uh, of individuals um, to help do this work and everybody helps everybody to be their very best. And we're still accountable and, you know, running a, a really top, top notch organization. But I think leadership it's about, it's, it's about having a vision. It's about having the ability to get things done to surround yourself with people that can tell you where your blind spots are It's having humility. It's most of the time, it's making sure that provide agency to the people that you work with so that everybody's empowered to do the best work.
0: I like all of those. I I wouldn't disagree with any of them. I think they're all pieces of a puzzle and you're right. You don't have to, our world is no longer looking for the sort of the PT Barnum leader, but there are, it is what I, I mean, I'm sure you as a funder and, and me as a, Executive coach and sort of playing in the land land of working with leaders of nonprofits. It's it's very inspiring to see this universe of people, some of whom have found organizations and um, that just can't they can't sit idly by. And um, it's a it's a pretty remarkable thing. And uh, what a nice vantage point you have as someone who not only gets to see that. But gets to partner with those people to have a great to enable them to have a greater impact. What a privilege that must be!
1: Uh, well, it is a privilege, and I I try to use the, my privilege for for the common good. So, but thank you so much for having me. It's um, really been a joy to talk with you, Joan.
0: I, um, I enjoyed the conversation, too, very much, and thank you for your work, and uh, thank you for being so true to the values that, that Paul Newman embedded into his food business and the foundation, and my goodness, I, you know, I even learned a lot today about the varying tentacles with the, the CEO development and the hole-in-the-wall gang. I mean, it just, it's a, it's, it's a remarkable, remarkable legacy, and uh, And I just want to, again, wanted to say thanks for sharing the stories and the insights and continue to follow the path to the common good, my friend. It was nice to meet you.
1: Thank you very much and take good care.
0: You too, Miriam. Take care. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, thank you for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.